York and Chapel presents Brands That Matter, the weekly podcast that explores companies whose products, policies, or practices make the world a better place. Now here's your host, John Rarick. Welcome back to Brands That Matter. Joining us this week are Taylor Collins and Katie Forrest, co-founders of Epic, makers of great food products inspired by the simple diets of our hunter-gatherer ancestors. Epic has partnered with the Savory Institute to support large-scale grassland restoration efforts. Katie, Taylor, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh my gosh, we are so stoked to be here. Thank you for having us. <laughs> so I, I, let, let me get this out of the way, guys, right away. I'm a huge fan of Epic Bars. I've always got a stash of them in the car constantly. Um, I'm on kind of a, a twisted, uh, call it a modified paleo diet, basically just trying to not eat like an eight-year-old. And your bars kind of saved my life just either in an airport or in the car or just someplace where I, I, I need food right away. It's always been the go-to. So Really, before we talk about your work with the Savory Institute, tell our listeners a little bit about your products, how you guys got started, and the journey that's taking you to where we are today. Yeah, so um, I'm glad that the Epic Bars saved your life. They were kind of like a savior for us, and that's sort of why we even began the company. That's why we created them is selfishly. Um, Taylor and I were uh, training pretty hard for endurance events like Ironmans and ultra running events. And um, we just always wanted to optimize our bodies. And so we, we tried to find the most optimized diet, whether that be like at the time, conventional wisdom was saying that we needed to be consuming a lot of carbohydrates. And so it was mostly like a high, high carbohydrate, low fat diet. Um, and that sort of just sort of evolved into a vegetarian diet, which, wasn't making us feel very good so we thought that maybe it wasn't clean enough and so then we were like oh well going cleaner would mean going vegan and so then we went vegan and then we were feeling extra shitty and so we were like well we must not be doing vegan right let's go raw vegan um and so on and so forth and as you can imagine like our bodies were just absolutely wrecked and breaking down me especially um i had like this knee issue that just was absolutely unexplainable any Western medicine doctor. Um, I was told I needed like a total knee replacement. I was put on rheumatoid arthritis medication. I was given exploratory knee surgery. Nobody could figure out what was going on with me. Um, and I was training for this big race. And so I was like, I just need this to go away. Like, I just want my knee issue to go away. And so I went to a holistic health practitioner. And the first thing that he asked was like, well, how are you eating? And it was the first time that somebody had said, what's that? Like, what are you eating? And I was like, oh, my God, somebody actually cares about, like, a holistic vision of my body. And I was like, well, obviously, I'm super clean. I eat raw vegan. And he was like, okay, tomorrow you need to transition your diet. Like, you're, you need to go with grass-fed animal proteins, remove all the soy, remove all the dairy, remove the grains. Um, and that was sort of the beginning. But the next day, we transitioned. And literally within two weeks, my knee issues went away. And Taylor and I started packing meat into our back pockets on, for our long bike ride. We literally would pack like a pound of bacon and put it in a Ziploc bag and go on 100-mile bike rides. And it was amazing and super glorious. And our bodies felt amazing. And so we didn't really have anything convenient. As I said, we had to cook up bacon. And so we were like, well, why can't we make this into like a bar? Like, why can't this be in a bar format? 
And so that's sort of how Epic was born. We put it neat into a bar format and we called it Epic because that's what it is. And there you have it. Nice. I like your style. Along the same lines, I've always feel a day without bacon is a wasted day. So I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. A meal without bacon is a wasted meal. That's right. <laughs> so let's get into your work with the Savory Institute. T- tell us how that partnership came about and really really what the mission is. Yeah. Early on, Katie and I recognized that there was a connection between creating a really nourishing meat-based product and how that animal lived its life. And so that was really clear to us. Um, and because of that, we were sourcing animals that we're allowed to eat their diet that they biologically evolved to consuming. Um, you know, all our ruminant animals, cows, sheep, bison, venison, they're all going to be grass-fed, 100% grass-fed animals. Um, and, it, you know, we were rolling with this concept, learning more about the food system, and it kind of hit us in the face one day, like, holy smokes, you can't have healthy animals and you can't have a healthy end product for consumers if that animal wasn't grazing on a thriving, healthy grassland ecosystem with, you know, teeming with life, the soil was very rich, had tons of biology in it. And so that became a new focus for us, which was connecting the feed that we eat to the actual land and the soil that it was grown on or raised on. And so really early on, we were connected to the Savory Institute because they were the only people having this conversation. And for us, um, they changed our life and how we viewed agriculture. And so it became a really early on mission. How do we get to be a part of this? How do we accelerate the regeneration of grasslands internationally? Because it's so critically important for the future of our civilization. And it seems like, it seems like what holds back so much of the grass-fed farming and ranching out there is the, that concept that if you were to put all these animals out in the fields, they're just going to decimate the fields. And it's it from what you're saying and the work you're doing, it's really the opposite. Yeah. I mean, nature got it right. Um, the most fertile lands in our country were once all a part of the migratory pathway of the bison. So where there would be 70 million mi- bison migrating north and south and they built the soil, the grasses co-evolved with them, all the microorganisms in the deep, nutrient-rich, um, life-giving force of that earth was created by the bison. They were the architects. And so that was nature figuring that out and building that system that for the last 100-plus years, we've industrialized and commoditized that system, and we've been extracting from it extensively without putting back. So it's like, what, what do you ha- if you have a bank account and you're constantly writing checks and pulling from it, but you're never depositing money, you're going to re- run out of money. It's super clear, right? And the same thing is happening with our agricultural system. Under a conventional model, uh, the FAO, which is the Food and Agricultural Organization Division of the United Nations, they released a report saying we have about 60 harvests left on the planet because they're degenerating our soil so extensively. And so something has to be fixed. We're not doing it right. And animals are a key element to regenerating, restoring, putting back to the earth. I mean, think about it. They're the perfect machine. They convert solar energy in the form of growth of grass. They consume it. They aerate the soil. Um, Their manure fertilizes, urine fertilizes. Their physical presence and bite of the grass actually causes the grass to grow um, back stronger with more resilient roots. Um, 
soil. Yeah, they mash in organic matter for decaying, oxidizing plant matter back into the soil to provide carbon for the bugs to eat. Um, and this is the biggest, most powerful tool we have today to sequestering carbon out of the atmosphere where it doesn't belong and storing it in the soil. So this has huge implications for global warming, climate change. Um, yeah, name like name a fake meat product that can do those things for nature. Yeah, I, I can't even imagine. I mean, you can buy all the squiggly light bulbs you want to buy and all drive Priuses, and that will help in reducing our annual carbon emissions. Um, but we still have a heritage carbon load that's in the atmosphere that needs to be stored and put somewhere. And our technology cannot do it as wonderfully as thriving grasslands, which require large herds of ruminant animals to be healthy. So it makes perfect sense. But let me ask you, if, if you've got these multi-generation ranchers who have gone down the factory farming road. If I'm a rancher and I want to start transitioning back to a more biodynamic operation, what would the first steps be? Because it's not like I'm doing it one way on Friday and when I come back to work on Monday, I'm doing it a completely different way. What are steps that some of these farmers can take to go down that path? Yeah. So Katie and I actually, we, we purchased a ranch um, outside of Austin, Texas, where we were born. And um, we bought the worst piece of property that had been conventionally managed. All the nutrients had been extracted from the land. And we purchased that property intentionally because we wanted to regenerate it through the use of animals. So we've been through this exercise. And the first thing that we would do is, A, you have to stop disturbing the soil. So you can disrupt and kill soil biology as easily through killing as you can through spraying any man-made synthetic herbicide or pesticide. So you need to stop disrupting the soil. Um, the second thing you do is you increase biodiversity because when you look at nature and you think of the most beautiful landscape or the most beautiful place you've ever been, it's teeming with life. There's hundreds, if not thousands, of different plant species. There's migratory birds. There's thousands of insects. There's microorganisms under the ground. And so you cannot have a monoculture because nature is always resisting and fighting a monoculture. Um, so increasing your biodiversity is really important. Um, keeping your soil covered is super important. So as Taylor was saying, killing or disrupting the soil um, is obviously damaging, but keeping your soil bare, which is what killing does, or um, overgrazing or desertifying your land also is really damaging. So ensuring that there's litter or green growing plants at all times is really important. Bare soil is like a heat trap. Not only is it a temperature issue, so... If you have the sun coming down, hitting bare soil, the soil microorganisms are going to die. Think about um, in the summer in Texas, for instance, you can put a thermometer in bare soil at our ranch and it'll read like 135 degrees. Take it that same day, go to a different pasture where there's green growing plants, put it in the soil and it'll be 85 degrees. And so you think about what do you cook your your meat at to kill all the bacteria and parasites in it. It's, there's a reason why you cook your meat high, right? That's right. Um, and so if you're doing that to your soil, then you're going to be killing all the living organisms within your soil. So not only is it a heat and temperature issue, but it's also a water infiltration issue. If you have bare soil, you're going to have, well, let me start with the terminal velocity of rainfall is 20 miles per hour. So envision like, hundreds of thousands of raindrops hitting the ground um, within minutes. 
at 20 miles per hour. It's going to start compacting that soil unless it's not there. Um, and so compacted soil obviously doesn't allow for infiltration of that water. So instead of that water being absorbed and put back into the aquifer feeding plants, um, it's going to be running off and pulling topsoil along with it. Yeah, and then we had pastures when we purchased our property that literally you could walk on them or drive on them, and it felt like you were on concrete or asphalt. And he was that compacted through mismanagement. And so the other, you know, area to start with a regenerative lens is incorporating animal impact. We put our bison on that pasture that was bare, rock hard, and just through their presence, through that aeration, breaking up the soil, um, new seeds were allowed to begin to germinate. Water began to become, become infiltrated back into the aquifer, and the water cycle improved, and we started growing plants back on that pasture. So the animal impact is a key component of regenerative agriculture. It seems so simple. The way you describe it, it makes perfect sense. Yet, what is what has to happen? What's the work you're doing with the Savory Institute to really get the word out there to start getting some of these folks to make these simple changes in their farming methods? You know, I don't think that we need to convince farmers to change their practices as much as we need to convince consumers to change their eating choices. It's really the food choices that are going to make farmers change their practices. Um, farmers are, do anything that the consumer wants to assist and so it's really us demanding um, a better food system that's going to make the food system change itself. That's a great point. It, you know, you're right. It's it's the consumer demand that's going to change the way any, any business runs. I, I think we just need, need to show consumers the difference between what real food is and what they've been eating currently. So point well taken. So what's the t- tell us a little bit about what's on the roadmap for the work you're doing um, to really get this message out for 2019. Yeah, we, uh, we're super stoked to announce that we, um, we're pioneering a new consumer-facing seal that's on package for a handful of our Epic products, and it's called the Land to Market Program. And so it's a scientifically robust third-party program that um, the Savory Institute pioneered um, in conjunction with a handful of universities and international soil scientists, where when you buy one of our products that has a land-to-market seal on it, as a consumer, you will know that we have empirical data supporting that the animal in this product helps make the environment better. It created a net positive return, and we have the data to prove that because we're monitoring over 23 different ecological outcomes. Um, so we can scientifically track, improve, and we can communicate that to the consumer. So that's just completely game-changing to me. It's beyond organic. It's beyond grass-fed. Um, this is substantially, you know, helps accelerate that food revolution that the consumers need to lead that Katie is talking about. So we're just really excited about that. Well, that's great. So how, how can our listeners learn more or even potentially get involved in your message? Oh, man, there's so many different ways. Um, I I would say you could listen to our podcast. Epic has a podcast called The Meatcast. And we have so many wonderful guests um, that have been pioneering this uh, regenerative ag movement. Um, so, so listening to some of those ranchers talk would be really, really impactful. Um, I love this book called Kiss the Ground. Um, it's, I give it to every single person that I know. 
I, I think I bought like 40 copies the other day just so I could hand them out to people. So Kiss the Ground is an excellent resource. Um, yeah, and then the Savory Institute. The Savory, obviously, the Savory Institute. Yeah, SavoryInstitute.org. Um, there's a tab where you can, if you're a consumer and you want to learn more, click on that. If you're a producer or a land manager and you want to learn more, click on that. And they have really customized information that's just absolutely mind-blowing. Well, we'll make sure we put links in the show notes to all those pieces that you just referenced so that folks have easy access to them. Taylor Collins, Katie Forrest, co-founders of Epic. I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Another great example of a brand that's making the world a better place. These are the kind of people we like to talk to. Thanks so much today. Yeah, thank you. It's fun. Yeah, thanks, John. Join us next week for another episode of Brands That Matter. And please leave us a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about York and Chapel, visit yorkandchapel.com.